the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Today is the third Sunday of the blessed month of Misra. And uh, as you know, this past week we celebrated the Feast of the Assumption of Our Lady St. Mary. But today also is the 21st day of the Coptic month of Misra, so it's also another commemoration of the, the monthly commemoration of St. Mary. And the third month of Misra, or Misori, um, the Gospel always revolves around a situation in which St. Mary, the mother of our Lord, and his relatives were gathered around an area where he was with his disciples and he was preaching. And they said, look, here are your mother and your brothers. And he said to them, whoever does the will of God is my, my brother and my sister and my mother. So sometimes people think that the gospel, in a sense, dismisses the mother of God. But in fact, the church would not choose this gospel around the time of the feast if the interpretation was one of dismissal. But on the contrary, what the church has always understood is that by this gospel, the Lord proves that the richness and the glory of St. Mary is because, in fact, she's not just somebody randomly chosen to be the one who gives flesh to the incarnate God, but she is the one who perfectly does the will of the Father, the one who perfectly does the will of God. And therefore, she becomes the model of those who would like to be perfect, to be in that family, that household of God, with St. Mary and the angels and the saints, are those who do the will of God. And so, sometimes the will of God is this big mystery in our lives. What is the will of God for, for me? What is the will of God in this situation? And it's always good for us to think of the will of God in two categories. The first one is what we might call the stated or signified will of God. God has a stated will. It's in the commandments, it's in the gospels, it's in the precepts, it's in the evangelical counsels that he gives throughout his teaching. We know what the will of God is when it comes to loving our neighbor. We know what the will of God is when it comes to fasting and praying and almsgiving. We know many things about the will of God that has been very clearly stated for us. And so, we, we must begin with the stated will of God in our lives. We must begin knowing every day what we must do in order to abide in the will of God. These are the obligations of a relationship. But then there is also what might be called the providential or the permissible will of God. And this is the, the, the area where it becomes very difficult for us at times to navigate. Because here, there's also the, the introduction of the problem of evil. How is God's will reconciled with evil that exists? How do I discern God's will in the circumstances that aren't stated clearly in the evangelical councils of the Gospels? And here we need to have a, a, an attitude of surrender and abandonment to the providence of God. First of all, to understand that God is ultimately good in what he allows even when it involves evil that he only allows because he has a plan, he has a means, he has a way to bring about something good and beautiful from it in this life and in the next life. And so even the problem of evil, the problem of enemies, the problem of all kinds of distractions and distortions and, and uh, problems that are inserted in our daily life are not a problem when it comes to the will of God because all things are still encompassed by his permissible will. He will not allow something to happen even for one, as we read in the Gospel today, to be demon-possessed without his permission. And he will only permit it because he is good and strong enough to bring about something good and beautiful from it. 
So we have the stated will, we have the permissible or providential will, but then we have also what St. Paul calls the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ. And what, what he means by this is that the more that we live the stated will of God, the more that we, that we follow Christ in fulfilling all of his desires for us, whether it's in our relationship with him, our relationship with our neighbor, how we worship, how we exercise our spiritual lives daily, the more we recognize and we become one with Christ in his own mind. Because Christ is the only one who knows the will of the Father perfectly. And he comes to reveal the will of the Father. So it's like what the Lord said in the, in the 10th chapter of St. John's Gospel about the Good Shepherd. He says, I am the Good Shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. So he knows us as the shepherd, but he also says that the sheep know the shepherd. And he says, and they will hear my voice, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So how do we know the voice of the shepherd from the hireling, from the thief, from the fraudulent? It's by putting on the mind of Christ. It's by becoming one with him. And we recognize the voice of the Father in our daily lives. So even apart from the very stated things that he has for us in his will, we come to be able to discern the nuances of daily life. How do I act in this moment, in, in this situation? What do I do with this problem? How must I see things in the light of faith? So to put on the mind of crisis is a, is a phrase that St. Paul famously expresses in the second chapter of Philippians. It's the chapter in which he speaks about the condescension of the Son. You know it, he says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Right? And then he goes on to say, though he was in the, the form of God, he humbled himself and took the form of a servant and became a slave even unto the, the death of the cross. It's that famous him, that passage of Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. But sometimes we forget what was the, the, the verses immediately before that. He says something before, let this mind be in you, which relates to how we relate to one another. He says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or vanity, but humbly regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only after his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you. So what is St. Paul in the context of what he says, let this mind be in you? It's in relationship to, in the context of our relationship with one another. We must regard others as better than ourselves. We must seek the interests of others above the interests of ourselves. This is the mind of Christ. This is the daily preoccupation of our dealings with one another and with the world that helps us to put on the mind of Christ and to know his will. St. Paul elsewhere in Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Give preference to the other above your own rights and obligations, or your own rights and desires and needs. So if I were to sum this up, what, what virtue are we talking about? What virtue are we talking about? 
Hmm? Humility, right? Humble yourselves, right? But there's a nuance in which I would suggest to you, and this is what I want to reflect a little bit with you on this morning, is that not only is this the virtue of humility, but it's the virtue of modesty. So we don't like to talk about modesty very much because it sort of has a, a negative connotation, sort of like meekness. People don't like the virtue of meekness because it implies weakness and cowardliness. But modesty is in fact a virtue of Christ. And you might immediately jump in your minds, as many of us do, to the idea that modesty has to do with how we dress, how we present ourselves to others in, in our apparel, and our external outlook, or our external look to others. But modesty is, is actually has nothing to do with clothing. Let me give you a couple of definitions of Christian modesty, and you'll see how it relates to what we're talking about. Modesty is the virtue that presents goodness in the proper way, making no display of talents or attainments and being humble about one's importance. So modesty is a, is a form of restraint. It only presents what is good in the proper way, the proper time, without display, without pomp, and carefully thinking about the one who is in front of me. Another uh, definition or, or further definition is modesty protects the intimate center of the person. It means refusing to unveil what should, be remain, that what should remain hidden. So modesty protects something that is precious to the inner person, like the Catholic epistle St. Peter's talked about today, being the hidden person of the heart, not focusing on outward apparel. It means refusing to unveil that which should remain hidden. Or, or more simply, Christian modesty is the refusal to show off out of love for God and out of consideration and love for one's neighbor. Conversely, immodesty flows out of a heart of a show-off. So modesty is restraint of that which is good, what, that which should remain hidden, that which should think about how it will affect my neighbor, how it will present my love for God. Modesty is a highly exalted virtue in the Christian life. Because at its core is the consideration, the care, the love, and the protection of my neighbor. I don't matter what I possess, what I, whether it's in talents or beauty or in material things, that doesn't matter as long as I don't offend the other person. The world tells you the opposite. You have the right. You have the right to do what you will, to present what you will, to be proud of everything that you have and what you, and what you have accomplished, whether in your career, in the gym, and you must display it. You must display it. But the Christian virtue of modesty says, I will keep it hidden so as not to even take the chance of offending my brother. Does that mean I deny myself what is rightfully mine? Absolutely. So, Christian modesty doesn't say, as many, we hear it even in the church, forgive me, I'm going to be a little bit direct for the next minute or so. Sometimes in the church we say, well, it's not my problem, it's their problem that they're offended. 
Okay? Usually we think about that as it relates to clothing. We say, well, if, if a man is going to sin because of what I'm wearing, well, that's his problem. Right? Of course, it's his problem. He should just be pure of heart. You should not think about these things. He should not be offended. It's his problem. It's not my problem. But that's the core. The, the core is not what you're wearing or what you're not wearing, what he's thinking. The problem is the attitude that says, it's his problem. It's not my problem. Or it's her problem. It's not my problem. Right? It's kind of like saying, and again, I know this is a crude example, but it's kind of like saying, here is this poor person who can't even find a piece of bread to eat. I'm going to bring my plate of ribeye steak, and I'm going to sit in front of him, and I'm going to enjoy my ribeye steak, and if he's offended, if he's hurt, if he's saddened, if he's broken because he hasn't eaten, well, that's his problem. He should just be thankful for what he has. He shouldn't be offended. He's just weak, right? Or maybe if I come out of the gym and I'm, you know, I'm all buffed out and, and I take every opportunity to take off my shirt, Right? And somebody is not offended because of lust, but what if they're offended because they're jealous? What if somebody has tried to go to the gym over and over again to lose that belly or to, or to hide some embarrassing physical defect? And what if every time they see that person with their shirt off, they hate themselves even more? Well, that's just their problem, right? They just need to get over it. They just, they just need to have a better self-image. I can't be my brother's keeper. I know these are strong examples, and I know it needs discernment. I'm not saying it's black and white, but I'm trying to obviously drive an important point home, which is, what is our attitude? It's not this or that thing. It's not about whether the sin is lust or envy or jealousy or greed. It's, that, those don't even matter. It's about... What attitude do you and I cultivate in, in our relationship with one another? So, I'll give you some examples from the saints. St. Pope Carolus VI was a theologian. People don't think of him as a theologian. But he, he studied theology. He was a master preacher when he was in the seminary. He wrote articles in the Harbor of Salvation newsletter early on as a monk. He was very highly, you can read some of his writings, very high-level spirituality. And yet, as a patriarch, he chose not to preach. He gave preference to others. He let bishops in his presence, priests, preach. And he, and he was humble enough to just sit back and listen. Right? So it's restraint, right? Was he not capable of preaching? He was more than capable of preaching. This modesty even relates to how we forgive one another, right? In the Desert Fathers, we read that a brother asked one of the elders for a definition of humility, and he replied, it is to forgive our brother who has wronged us before he himself asks for forgiveness. I consider my brother so much that I don't even want him to ask for forgiveness before I forgive him. I forgive him before he asks for forgiveness. It's that consideration for my neighbor that is at the core of modesty. Right? Um, how we deal with the weak members of our community. 
Again, these stories from the Desert Fathers are very beautiful because they apply to so many particularities of our own lives. The story says that when the abbot of a monastery was going to start the Divine Liturgy, he discovered that his priestly stole, the Sadra, was missing. So the abbot said there would be no liturgy until the stolen stole was returned. Nothing happened. So the abbot ordered every room in the monastery to be searched. One young monk immediately went to an old monk who had the reputation of being a saintly father, and he confessed to the old monk that he had stolen the stole. The old monk told the young monk not to fear, but to hide the stole in his cell, in the old man's cell. So, of course, the stole was found in the old man's cell, the elder's cell. Despite his reputation as being a saint, the other monks were furious at him that he stole the stole and denounced him as a fraud and as a thief. They even beat him physically. The old man begged for mercy and promised to repent, but the other monks did not want a thief in their monastery and expelled him from the monastery. The monks then assembled in the church for liturgy, but God sent an angel to the church and prevented the abbot from approaching the altar. The abbot told the brethren that they need to bring the old man back and be compassionate towards him. They brought the old man back and the angel allowed the liturgy to proceed. So again, it's the consideration of my neighbor above my own rights. In our conversations with one another, how is modesty expressed? It's certainly not in argumentation and showing off our knowledge and taking over a a, a conversation because I know so much. But when you see the monastic fathers and mothers, how they are in conversation, they sit silently. And even when they're asked to speak, they give uh, deference to to the other. And only unless they're compelled do they speak. And if they're speaking and somebody cuts them off, they don't say, excuse me, I'm speaking, as we often do in the world. I I didn't finish what I was saying. How rude of you. They say, please, go ahead. The consideration of the other above my own rights and my own needs. Sometimes we are very demanding of others in regards to ability and strictness and rules, right? But in the life of St. Bochomius, who was the head of 12,000 monks, an estimate, 12,000 monks, he, you would think that, with, and he was famous for his Pacomian rules, there are volumes of rules that were in his monasteries. And yet, what does he say out of compassion for the needs of his brethren? He says, he says to the, the heads of each of the local monasteries, he says, provide an abundance at the table so that each one may deny himself and grow in virtue in the measure of his fervor. Right? So even he didn't impose a certain fasting on the, on the brethren by limiting them to just a certain amount of food on the table. But he said, provide an abundance and let each person, according to his own strength and according to his own ability, fast in the way that he's able to. And nobody look at the other. Focus on yourself. Consider the other who might be weaker, right? There's that famous story of, of Pope Carulus and the during Holy Week, where two friends came to the monastery during Holy Week. One of the friends didn't want to come. He wasn't really a churchgoer. His friend convinced him to go. Out of all times, he convinced him to go to the monastery during Holy Week. I think it was even Good Friday that day. The friend was, was overwhelmed with the prayers and the fasting. He went to the kitchen and he found 
the food that was being cooked for the end of the day, and he couldn't resist, and he started eating. And lo and behold, he hears somebody behind him, he turns around, it's Pope Carlos VI. And what does the Pope say to him? He says, sit down, my son, sit down. Why are you, why are you here in the monastery with the, with the monks and in this strict environment? It's too much for you. Sit, 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 sit. Give me two minutes. So the, the man is embarrassed already. The Pope leaves, he comes back with a plate full of fruit. He says, eat, eat, eat. The consideration above the other, for the other, above even the rules of the monastery. Saint, or Pope Shenouda III says, The spiritual man does not judge his weak brother, but prays for him. He feels pity for him and asks help for him from the Lord. He knows that it is not for every person to reach the high levels of spirituality. That's an interesting comment, he says. He knows that it is not for every person to reach the high levels of spirituality. And not everyone has received a great amount of grace. And that gifts are not all the same. For one star differs from another star in glory, quoting St. Paul. Right? And this reminds us of a beautiful story in the life of St. Beshoi. You know St. Beshoi, the one whose icon we have, who's washing the feet of the Savior. This story is very beautiful because it, it, it is sort of a commentary on what Pope Shunuda just said about that how God gives gr different levels of grace to every person. So the story is about St. Beshoi who was fasting for 21 days. And another young monk, another brother, who was barely able to fast for two days. So, it says, Abba Bishoy fasted for 21 days. Our Lord Jesus Christ came to him and said to him, O oh, my chosen Bishoy, your soul has been very courageous. Bishoy said to him, St. Bishoy said to him, My Lord, my confidence rests upon you that you will strengthen me. Because of this, I do not have any weaknesses at all. So St. Bishoy is saying, I'm fasting for 21 days and I feel like it's not, a, it's not hard. I feel healthy still. Our Lord led him, directing him to a weak brother who fasted for just two days. And Abba Bishoy saw him falling down upon the ground and stumbling his way this way and that way, looking for something cool and some air from the suffering of his fasting. So, so the, the image that St. Bishoy sees is a monk who's for, tried to fast for two days and he can't even stand. And he's just like grasping for cool air and, and some respite. And without even completing two days of fasting, St. Bishoy asks the Lord, he says, my Lord, what is the problem with this brother? Right? What, what, like, what's, why, is he, why is he being so dramatic? <laughs> I fasted for 21 days. I feel fine. And look what the Lord said to him. He says, it is because he fasted the night that he is weak. Bishoy said to him, okay, how many nights since he began to fast until he fell and was thrown to the ground? Our Lord said to him, from when I created him, I did not deprive him of a meal a single day except for this night. And see, I have sent upon him hunger and weakness. So this young monk has never gone a day without eating. And so this was the first night that he had to go without eating. And because of that, the Lord allowed him to experience his weakness. But he says, but as for you, as for you, Bishoy, 21 days do you not perceive that the affliction was like this? Bishoy said, no, my Lord, but I wish that you would tell me what you are going to give this brother and what will be his reward. So I fasted 21 days. 
he only fasted two days, what's going to be his reward? Our Lord said to him, I will give him his wages such as I will give you. I will give him his wages such as I will give you. As for you, I have strengthened you against fasting and hunger. There's nothing to be proud of. I strengthened you. I gave you the grace to not feel the weakness of 21 days of fasting. But I let this brother who fasted for just one day feel the terrible pains of hunger. He says, this wage is a portion to one who does not have the strength and who will suffer according to his measure for my name. I tell you, enter now into the joy of your Lord. Right? So, we have to be on guard of ever thinking that the weakness of another is somehow to be compared to the strength of myself or to even another person, but to see that even when I have strength, it's because God gave me the grace to have strength. And if I am weak, I shouldn't be jealous of the one who is strong, because each one of us who does it for the Lord will receive the just reward for our love for God. And you know this famous story, this humorous story, it's one of my favorite stories of the Desert Fathers, of the two hermits who lived together for many years without ever having a quarrel. They never argued amongst themselves. They were so, such pure in heart with each other, considering the needs of the other, that they never could allow themselves to argue with one another. So one day, one of the brothers said to the other, he said, let's have a quarrel, let's have an argument with each other as other men do in the world. Let's just see what it's like to be like other people. And the other answered and said, I don't know how, to, how a quarrel even happens. The first one said, look, here, there is a brick between us. And I will say, this brick is mine. Then you will say, no, it's mine. And in such a way, we will have a quarrel. So they put the brick between them, and the one of them said, this brick is mine. And the other one said, no, this brick is mine. So the first one said, yes, it's yours. <laughs> Take it and go your way. And they were unable to argue with each other again. So it points again to this virtue of modesty, right? Why do I argue? It's because I, I have my rights. I have, I, have, I have my needs. I have my word. I have my authority. Another uh, uh, story, so I know I'm going a little bit long with these stories, but uh, a famous desert father uh, from the 7th century, his name is St. Pesentius. Sometimes he's, in Arabic he's called Pesentius, from the 7th century. Um, and this shows us about hiding our gifts, our talents, our spiritual gifts and talents, which again is a, is a great virtue in the lives of the saints. So the story is about a couple of visitors who come to his cell, and they, they, they came to his door to take his blessing, and they hear him reciting the book of Jeremiah. Now, if you know the book of Jeremiah, it's a very long book in the Old Testament. Right? And so they say, well, we don't want to interrupt him while he's reading his, his prayer and praying while he's reading. And so they wait, and he finishes the whole book of Jeremiah, and as he's reading it, he's praying, and he stands up and prays. And then after he finishes it, he stands up and prays, and they say, okay, as soon as he finishes prayer, we'll, we'll knock. And then... Immediately, he begins to read the book of Ezekiel. And so they say, well, we can't interrupt the old man while he's reading Ezekiel. Ezekiel is another nice, lengthy book in the Old Testament. And so the whole day passed, and they just waited. And finally, when he had finished hours and hours and hours of prayer and reading and worshiping, 
and there was silence. They knocked. And the two men knocked on the door. Pesentius answered them, saying, Bless me. He looked out upon them from a large window, and he spoke to them, saying, Did you come to this place many hours ago? And they said to him, We came here at dawn, but we did not dare to cry out to you until you had finished all of your recitation of the scriptures. Then straight away, Abba Pesentius began to weep, and he began to beat his chest. And he said to them, This day I deserve a very great punishment. And all of the labors which I have performed this day are nothing but vanity. Now these things that his, his disciple is writing, his biography, his eyewitness. He says, now these things which the holy man, Abba Pesentius, spoke, that he fled from the vain adulations of men. He was very sad at heart, but the two men knew that he was reciting, because the two men knew that he was reciting the books of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Know therefore, this is the commentary of his author, the disciple. He says, Know therefore, O my beloved, that the saints yearn for the glory of God only. The saints yearn for the glory of God only. So what's the, the message of this story? The message is that the saint was exposed. He wanted to hide his virtue, his prayers, his worship. But also, but also there is that virtue of modesty in which he knows that as all the great saints do, that if they were to display the grace that they have received from God, each one of us would be in despair when we see it. Another story from the Desert Fathers about this is that an elder walked into the church, he looked around, he saw that the church was empty, and he began to pray from his heart with tears. And his prayer was so powerful and beautiful and then he realized some noise in the corner. And when he looked, he found that there was a young novice, a young monk who was hiding in the corner. And the elder went to the young monk and he said, forgive me, I have not yet even made a beginning. I have sinned greatly. Why? Not just because he was exposed, but because he knew that this prayer, which was born out of years and years of asceticism and love for God, could put this young novice in despair because he has not yet learned how to pray such, in such a way. This is modesty. Modesty, again, is to hide even what is good. My body, which is good, which is beautiful. But if it might even make somebody envious or jealous or bitter or lustful or whatever, whatever the sin might be, then I will hide it. I will hide it for the sake of my brother, not because I don't have the right to display it. May our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the, the giver of all good gifts, give us and grant us this virtue of modesty, and to him be all glory now and ever into the age of all ages. Amen. Blessed are they.